Welcome back to another episode of The Rest, a podcast where you get to hear the rest of the story and where we continue the conversation that Sunday started. I'm your host, Jared Jacobus, and I'm here with Joel Osteen. Oh. How, how are we doing? <laughs> well, if I'm Joel Osteen, I'm doing real well. I'm highly favored. Yeah. Doing Blessed a, and highly favored. Doing it big time. Big time. We had a fun and memorable weekend, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Very memorable uh, so we were both at dad camp. And for mm-hmm. those of you that don't know what dad camp is, it's a weekend spent with uh, one or two of your kids that's designed to create an intentional bond with your kid and also to equip the dad to become the best version of a dad they can be. How was your time at dad camp? It was great. It was fantastic. What two, were some of the some of the highlights? Two nights. Um on like a really nice campground about 40 minutes away, which is not far at all. Yeah, it was a lot nicer than I was expecting. Yeah. Some people were out there actually in their tents. Oh, yeah. So that's not my... That's that's too much. That's not my jam. No, I think, I mean, anyone that's listening to this, especially if you're a dad, you need to go to dad... Is it dadcamp.org? Yeah. You got to go to dadcamp.org. And you got to look and listen for when we're going to do it again, because I'm 90% certain we're going to do another camp next year. Yeah, for sure. And they kind of limit the amount of spots. It's like, I think an ideal camp number is like 100 dads. So it's like 200 kids, 200 people. Yeah. And so when we put it out, you got you to sign up, you got to go. And then they have them all over. So if you can't go to the one around us or with us, I'd still even recommend you going, you know, if you have to go to Indiana. But, I mean, you know, there are so many amazing things for for me. The special time with my daughter, the last day, they kind of give you a a special moment and direction to breathe life into your kid, to share some specific words of affirmation and encouragement with your kid at a special time, kind of privately one-on-one off, you know, in the woods or wherever. And I mean, that, that is an unbelievable moment, you know, it was, um, it was life changing. Yeah. That was my favorite part. And then I really enjoyed just from my perspective as a pastor, I really enjoyed spending more time with people who go to our church who I just never get to really spend time with and get to know people. Yeah, I saw a lot of faces that I see around that I yeah, didn't know. Right. So it was it was awesome getting it to was. talk to them. And him. so that that was a nice bonus. Um it was it was fantastic. I mean, we had such great weather. Yeah, the whole weekend was amazing. Um it was. I I highly recommend it. Yeah. You have to go. You got to go, especially if you are dad and you're a Christian and you talk about who are you wearing and being a Christ follower and uh, trying to be a dad. I mean, there's a lot of great leaders, thinkers, theologians who believe that, you know, the highest calling of humanity is family building. And I, I believe that's true. I believe that to, you know, to have a family means that you have a ministry. And that doesn't mean what maybe you thought. It means that you're, you know, you're supposed to take care of them. You're supposed to lead them. You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to become great at communication. You're supposed to become great at 
you know, guidance and wisdom and connection and, you know, teamwork between you and your spouse or whoever. And there's so much there that needs to be worked on to bring about what God's original plan was for humans to, to be fruitful and multiply and do it well. Yeah. And I think, you know, like one of my favorite quotes, I might've said this before, it's like by Wolfgang Goethe or something like that is his name. And he said, if everybody swept their front porch, the whole world would be clean. Have I said that on this podcast yet? No. I love that quote. If everybody swept their front porch, the whole world would be clean. And the idea is get your house in order. Yeah. Like, you know, don't, you know, get the plank out of your own eye before your brothers. It's like, deal with home. Like, like get your stuff together at home, like really intentionally before you try to take on the world and change everybody else and, and be critical. And it's just so easy. A lot of people never actually think about what they're supposed to do. I think Carl Jung said, uh, thinking is difficult. It's too difficult for some people. So they just judge. They just judge instead. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to think, so I'm just going to be critical of people. And it's like, why don't you stop and think for a second about your world? Like, like stop pointing the finger, go get your house in order, sweep your own front porch. And if everybody was so, was committed at a hundred percent level to their families as dads, and then the statistics, I mean, I know we're not talking about that in, in Sunday morning, but it's such a massive part of our church that, you know, the statistics, one of them that we learned this weekend was that 80% of people who grow up in a household, kids, I think even spouse, you know, the wife of a faith-filled dad yeah, tend to move active. forward uh, in their faith. Yeah. And if dad is not faith-filled, led, 80% of the time they they move on to something else or they lose their way or whatever it is. And so it's just, it's, it's like sometimes we think more or bigger is better and it's not better for what God has put in front of you is the best. Like that's what matters. And so it was very challenging to me. It reminded me of that. And it's very easy to lose sight of that. It's made me, spend even better time with my other two kids at home just since we came home. Like, yeah. it's just important to, to, you know, be intentional and connect. It's like the it moments opens are your there. Eyes. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing that um, we, we talked about the book, Parenting, or Getting It Right, yeah. Parenting, uh, which we have done a series on at this church. And then they they talked about this weekend. But I think one of the quotes was, always... Something like you can help me remember. It was like, um, always pay attention while you're, what, what was it? The thing about the, you remember? I don't. Attention. It was about your kids. It was like, always pay it while you have their attention, always pay attention. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. The idea was while they're talking to you and they're interested in you, if they ever have a conversation with you, you should stop everything you're doing and pay attention to that because that won't last very long or it will change. And that's helped me even in the last three days, just, you know, with Redding, like dad, like this morning, Redding was like, 
I was actually trying to get my message slides finalized and sent off because I have to start the deadline thing is for me is Wednesday morning when I have to have my slides for Sunday in. So I was kind of in a crunch and she comes downstairs and she's getting ready to go to school and Katie's gone to the gym and I'm at home and I just came back from the gym and I'm all sweaty and I'm running late with this deadline and I got to get her to the bus. And she's like, dad, um, can I show you how I tie my shoes? <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. But it just hit me. I was like, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like I just put, put my, you know, work to the side and I just got up and I went over and I just looked at her tying her shoes. Yeah. And I thought, and what went in, on in my mind was no matter how like much this takes me off the path of what I think I should be doing today, no doubt one day when I don't have this to do, I'll look back and miss it. And I'll wish she was there asking me. Yeah. Those moments like, are putting you on the path. They are, man. They're, they're taking you off of, I mean, obviously we have to do our jobs and do work, but like missing that is missing too much. Yeah. It's like when that's not there, you're, I just think you're going to be like, well, what am I going to do today? <laughs> you, know, like, no, what, you know, that's what we should be doing. That's what we're doing. It's what we spend our time doing. So it's, 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 it's amazing to take it and really absorb it a hundred percent. Yeah. Those, those work things, you won't even remember it a week from now. No, I won't remember it. I don't even remember it now. And your kid will mm -hmm. remember that moment probably for the rest of their life. I know. Or at least it'll just be a string of events when there's consistency of attention towards those little things over time. They'll add up to a disposition that they have that dad dad listens and dad yeah. cares and I can talk to him about anything. Yeah. And something unique about this camp, so a lot of us didn't have very intentionally involved father figures. Like we had some of us had great fathers. Some of sure. us had good fathers. Some of us had bad fathers. But a lot of us, they didn't have the intentional time with us. Yeah. And doing something like this shows you how to do that. It also shows you the importance of it. Yes. It just changes the dynamic that you'll have with your kids. I think too, like, and, and I'm not, I've not like studied this or anything, but, you know, a lot of times when I listen to a, whatever, maybe someone 10 years older than me, boomers, Xers, I don't know what they are, say something like, I had a good dad. What they mean is he provided. He didn't do anything wrong. He was nice. Yeah, they had most of their material needs met. They had their needs met. Came, came, he came to my games. But I think that, like, I think the target has changed now. You know, I don't think that, and maybe that's like post-World War II, you know, you come home, it's the golden years and it's like dad goes to work and mom stays home with the kids. And so a good dad is like, you're doing, that's the role. Yeah. And while I still think that like men and women have different natural strengths and acumen and different personality draws, generally speaking, and, and different types of work that we do, you know, I, I think that for men, that that's not 
that's not right. I don't think that that definition, I had a good dad who just like provided. I think that kids need leadership and intentionality and, and they need direction and they need, you know, sensitivity and conversations and emotional, you know, um, um, direction or emotional conversation, conversations about your heart and, you know, and about how you're doing and thinking. And I just think dads need to be fully engaged in that part of their kids' lives. And I think that that's what a good dad is. You do provide, but you got to like, you can't just come home and turn it off. Like you got to come home and you got to view it almost like that's the work. Yeah. You know, C.S. Lewis, I mean, you know, he's from a different generation, right? He, you know, he died the same day John F. Kennedy died. I didn't know that. But like, so a lot of people don't know that because pretty big day, but you know, I think one of the quotes he said, I, I always remember the heart of quotes, but I don't, I didn't tell him like, if I'm going to speak, then I like get it, but then I forget yeah. the, but what he said is that for his generation, men go do their job a hundred percent in support of moms at home doing the most important job. It's all to support the mo- the more important job. Yeah. And that's really good. I, I, I think that you know, in a world we live in, you have dual incomes and moms and dads. I think that's true for both now. What mom does, what dad does, it should be purpose-filled. It should be Christian in the sense if you're a Christian that what you do brings life into the world. It helps. It brings order. It reflects the glory of God and creativity, design, ingenuity, practicality, humanitarian, whatever it is. I I think that's what work is supposed to be, provision. But then I think all of that has to be, we do all of this so we can provide so that we can do what we're really supposed to do. Anyway, so we're not, we're not even. We can talk about. Camping on dad camp a little much. We could if we want, we can do whatever we want. Why not? We have to take a quick break though. Okay, yeah. Uh, Talk about the sponsor of of today's episode. Today's sponsor is Sheets. <laughs> Joel, you've uh, you've been driving for a while now, right? I've been I've I've been behind the wheel for quite a while. Do you remember when gas stations only sold gas? You know, man, like I don't come on, you don't remember when gas stations <laughs> only sold gas. Yeah, they had one pump. Well, I've, I've seen movies where that is yeah. true. Uh it was awful. You'd be but hungry, those, those thirsty. Were bad years. Yeah. The only thing you could get were gas. <sighs> Imagine going to a gas station and all you can get is gas. That's yeah, it's my worst nightmare. Well, that's where Sheets comes in. Sheets <laughs> has everything from grilled and fried foods, ice cold drinks, baby formula, pole noodles, puppies. What? Yeah, you can get your puppies at Sheets. No, you can. Uh, they're they're running a, a sale on puppies right now. No way. Yeah. So Are you serious? Yeah, it's buy two get one free. Come on, got to check it out. So today's podcast is a little different. Uh, John spoke this week, so um, we were both out at dad camp. So I have some questions related to his message yeah. that we'll discuss. And then um, I have some thoughts uh, around dad camp that we'll we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting off, we're going to answer a fan question. Let's do so it. One of our Love loyal it. listeners. Sean Patterson asked, I've been enjoying the series on Who Are You Wearing? My question is, what are specific examples of the good works we are created to do? Mm. Yeah, um, it's a good question. 
a lot of people, Paul goes through this in the New Testament, kind of in several different places. I think probably more specifically in the book of Galatians and Romans, where there are, you know, the good works and the works of the law are different things. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, but so, so a lot of people, especially Christians, they get, um, uh, those two, those two conflated where they make, they, they match them. Yeah. They think they're the same and, uh, they're not. So, so when Paul is trying to show the Christians in the new Testament in the first century that Gentiles don't need to do the works of the law, he's saying, we're not going to put the burden of the old Testament law, you know, all the sacrificial laws and, and, and all that on to the Gentiles, we're not going to do that. And so, you know, that all kind of comes, comes to a head in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem council when it's like, well, so then what are we going to say has to continue for? And they pick like three things, sexual immorality. And, you know, you can't eat food that's been sacrificed to an idol or that has blood running through it, that type of thing. Like keep it, keep the food clean and, and sexual immorality, which is transcendent has always been wrong and was included in the law. So, Basically, but then when, so we, we often think that means I don't have to work for my salvation. Yeah. Well, the Old Testament law wasn't even designed for the people of Israel to gain their salvation. They were already the people of Israel. Yeah. You know, they, they already had their salvation. They already had their Red Sea moment. They've already been blessed by God via, you know, Abraham and they're his people, they're his children. And so the law was given, it's like, just like your family. It's like having rules at home doesn't make your kids your kids. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. It, right, just, it, it's what you bring to your kids to shape your family. So that's essentially what God is doing in the Old Testament with the law is he's going, this is how you should live so you can be a, a nation of priests set apart holy. And in the context, the way that they, that law seems weird, but it actually is like a, a very stark, reality between them and other nations and it's a good and holy much better way ultimately it you know it doesn't um, bring them necessarily into the right relationship with god or in terms of their hearts it doesn't necessarily rid them of sin just by following all of those rules and stuff so their hearts need to be you know changed and and that's talked about in the old testament that their hearts need circumcised and so when Paul gets into the good works, he's talking about, you know, the good works that are kind of from the beginning. And he even references that, you know, that there's always been sin even before there was the law. And so there's always been good works. And so good works, according to, um, you know, when Jesus says, you know, you're you are the light of the world, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Who takes it and hides it? You know, let your good works shine before men so they will see them and glorify yeah. your father in heaven. Th those are, you know, I, I, again, I talk about it a lot and I think it's good that Sean asked the question because it's like, I, I don't think people understand it. I think people, when they hear do good works, they think, okay, I need to serve in the children's ministry. I need to go volunteer at a food pantry. I need to go on a mission trip. I need to evangelize my friend. Those are good works. Those are not, those are not good works. Like those are not like the five good works and then whatever else you want to add that's the same yeah. kind. Those are part of the mission of 
of Christianity, right? Like we're going to do great things and we're going to minister and serve. And that's part of what it means to be a Christian. But doing good things means doing humanity and doing what it takes to be good humans well. So uh, go back to the garden, right? We were given a vocation, which was to subdue the earth, to take it and to control it and to you know, tease out of it the good and make things beautiful. So, you know, when somebody is great at cello and they like, they become a master cello player, that's good works. Those are like beautiful things. I mean, Jesus says, or Paul says, um, for you are my workmanship. You're my poem created to go and do good works, which I prepared in advance for you to do. So we're his artwork that expresses just in our innate being that we are like God and we're supposed to act like God and be be agents that carry forth God. So if you're if you are a manager at a CVS and you got a bunch of younger people working for you or people that need managed, you can do that God's way. Oh yeah, for sure. You can you can be great at leadership and you can be humble and you can be helpful and you can train them well and you can bring order to the schedule and you know people can walk out of working for you at CVS or never walk out because you've done such a good job or when they leave they say that was the best manager I ever had. He like he like cared about me, he was helped me, you know what I mean like yeah. so literally anything uh, you know, again, I think that if what you're, you, the ultimate end of what your work is, is somehow unethical or immoral, then obviously that would not be good. That's taking, that's like, that's Genesis one. That's taking the good that God made you and leveraging it for the wrong things. That's missing the mark, but it's anything, you know, it's, it, you know, Paul says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Those are, those are good works. And this is where it's like, I think dads and men specifically need to hear this because they think, okay, I have to go to a Bible study. You know, I have to read my Bible every morning and I've got to, you know, memorize all these scriptures. And then I got to like have an intelligent conversations about apologetics. And then I need to like go to my work and I need to like evangelize my friends and be a disciple maker and all that stuff. And look, we are all called to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. We're called to develop a relationship with Jesus and read the scriptures and really we should want it and alone time with God and solitude and all that stuff is so important. But if you think that those are the things that mean you can or cannot be someone who's wearing Christ in the world, you've been misled. You you can scoop ice cream at Jenny's and you can do it and you can bring order and goodness and beauty to that. You can be a graphic designer and you can do it for God and you can master your craft and you can make it beautiful. You could make surfboards on the West Coast and you could you could make them in such a way that people want to buy them and they experience them and you have your knit, your niche, all that. Um, there's tons of it. Uh, and then some of it is just prayer praying alone and spending time alone or um, uh, uh, going, you know, taking what you have, being generous, you know? So generosity, we, we think of it first and foremost um, financially. Well, that's a part of it, right? And, there, and there's like subcategories to why that's so important, you know, to be 
financially generous. I mean, money can be a god. It's a powerful agent. You want to hold it with an open hand. All yeah, it that helps stuff. you keep control over help it. You keep, yeah, you don't want to have control. You want to kind of tell your money what to do, not let your money tell you what to do. All that stuff is important. But also giving is a part of good works. It is part of what it means to be um someone who emulates Christ in the world is to be generous. So you're not just generous with your money, you're generous with your time. You know, talking about your kids, like turn and face them, look them in the eye, be intentional. That's generosity. That's giving of yourself. You know, you should be thinking, oh, does this cost me something? Well, then I'm probably, you know, at a level supposed to do it. As long as I've made sure that I'm not living my entire life only costing me everything in the sense that I'm not taking care of myself. You need to take care of yourself. You need to be happy and healthy. You need time alone. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need to, you know, do all those things. Well, your cup needs to be filled up to be yeah, able your to cup's pour be filled in full. others. Absolutely. So, so you know, all that stuff. You know, your time, your generosity with your time, with your with your hands, with your effort. You know, like with your neighbor. Like if you see him, like offering time, offering labor, offering. Uh, doing something unsolicited, bringing something to someone, serving people, go to a food kitchen, go down there and serve and bring toys to it or all that stuff is awesome. You should do that. Those are good things. But 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 if you can't, here's the thing. It can't be that good works are single isolated events yeah, that not, you only do once a month. The good works that that God has done, and I'm going to talk about that this week um, uh, I'm going to talk about that this week is that Christian, the Christian movement and what Paul is getting into in the new Testament is designed to reorder our lives now on earth with people, the way we live every single day. It's not just, Oh, I'm so glad I know God. I'm so glad my future it's, it's, it's for now. It's for, it's for, so, so it can't, a good work that is really like what God is getting at is not a one-time thing. That may be, that's good. But if it's only a one-time thing or once a year or once every quarter, I think you're missing it. It needs to be daily. Yeah. So a good work needs to be the work that you do, the job that you do. It needs to be the way you interact with people. It needs to be the, um, the skills that you're developing. Even if, and here's another thing, if you're a golfer, like now in a vacuum, you play golf. Right now, if you're playing golf and you're doing it selfishly and you're stealing from your wife and time and all that stuff and you're whatever, and it, you know, then you probably need to stop doing that because of priority. But as someone who's really good at golf, it's funny. It's like if someone does it for fun, then there might be criticism of that. But if someone is like super good at golf and then they like make it to, you know, the tour yeah. or something like that. People are like, dude, God's blessed you. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, God has blessed all of us to, to leverage something or some things in our lives to do them with, with, with at least a hundred percent effort and to a level of success that adds value to the world. Let's just call it that. You don't have to be the guy that makes the tour. You know, maybe you're the guy that becomes, you know, a golf coach or at a high school or whatever. And you get to now train kids and you get to teach them the value of discipline and the gentleman's game and all that stuff. And you're bringing order and a certain level of, of you know, teamwork and, and ethic and effort and all that stuff. That's, that's what your job has to be. So it can be golf. It can be you're great at something and you do it with excellence. And everybody goes, wow, look at that. Like that guy's really good at that. What a gift. That's yeah. what people say. 
So uh, one last thought on it is that, you know, again, in the book of Genesis, uh, what you see is that God before the fall tells man to work, right? Work, you know, the ground, all that. That's what you're supposed to do. And, and so and that word in the, in the Old Testament is the same exact word for worship. And we, I've talked about that before. So work is worship every day. So we, and I've said this at church, but people, someone's listening, they need to hear it. We think of worship as an hour or let's be real, 23 minutes a week on yeah. a Sunday morning because of singing. The way that the Bible lays it out is that you're supposed to work six days and Sabbath rest from your work, which your work is your worship. So he doesn't say work and then go to worship. He says work, which is worship, which is your job, which is whatever it is you do, do it, do it well, bring, add value to the world, take chaos, bring order to it, do it with beauty, do it with ingenuity, create you know, systems, someone that builds systems and, and, you know, hierarchy in an organization that's functional for a 500 person company. That's genius. That's using their mind to like build structure and systems and communication. Awesome. But you're working six days a week. That's your worship. Then you stop. You're supposed to stop working and then therefore stop worshiping to rest from the work. Yeah which is a way of worshiping God and honoring God and saying, I know you provide, I need to stop. My body needs rest. I'm not going to do this every day. I know that you made the world and we reap what we sow. So I work six days and I may do that for four weeks in a row and then the harvest comes. So there's lots of work that doesn't get payoff right away. But I know that I need to stop and I need to face you and I need to give you my hands and say, I'm not going to leverage my time today to build. I'm going to just be in this moment. Think about God. And we've called that worship. We've called that worship. And it doesn't mean that it can't be adoration and, and all that stuff is, 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 is important. But uh, again, the Christian life is a, is a life of work. It's a life of spending all your resources to bring about the greatest possible future for the people that you love. So that's really great. Does lens. that answer my, does, do you think that yeah, answers yeah, the question? For sure. Um, really great lens to look at how you view every day of your life. Yeah, it is. That, that, and that's how I view every day of my life. And, and then, and then I think, I think that a lot of guys need to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Like you can be a bricklayer. And worship God through laying bricks. Yeah, you're taking glory to further glory. I mean, think about it. He said, go and subdue the earth. Somebody baked something out of clay and chopped it up and put it into these perfect little rectangular things. And we got this mortar and we're going to build this wall. And I don't know about you, but like, that's not easy. No. That takes a tremendous amount of skill. And don't tell me that it's not valuable. I, I met with a guy yesterday, him and his wife, great guy. And uh, I was like, you know, what do you do for a living? His name is Clinton. He works, he is an engineer and he is uh, one of the head maintenance guys at the water treatment plant here in Columbus for sewage. So he's at the hub down off 315 where all the sewage of all the city comes in there and it goes through whatever multiple 
systems of filtration and all that stuff to become water. And he oversees the maintenance of those machines. Wow. Like there's like 12 guys that like, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, those machines and what it has to go through and the, the filters and the yeah. gears and the engines and the knobs and the buttons and the electricity. And I mean, all of it. And all day long, all he does is make sure through his maintenancing of those things that you and I have clean water, have clean water. Come on, man. Like some of it is just, it's revelation. It's revelation. It's not, it's always been there. You just haven't seen it. You know, God has made such an amazing place. It's a, it's just a big playground. Yeah. For us to do all kinds of things. And then it, what the beauty of it is, is he made us uh, unique. You know, our eyes are unique. Our hands are unique. Our faces are unique. Our The way we think, our, everything's unique. So there's certain things that we love, that we're good at, that if we, if we submit everything we are to God and then he uses that to, you know, turn us into whatever we're going to do, we can do something that we love and really enjoy, you know? He loves his job, that yeah. guy. Someone might look at it and go, no, that's not a good, that's a great job. He's every day worshiping. Yeah. Anyway, that's my answer. Sean. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Uh, all right. So John brought up a really good point um, in his message that I never really thought about. He posed this, this question of why are the things that we should be doing difficult yeah. for us to do? Yeah. And John provided a really compelling answer. He said that it's difficult because we have a real and powerful force that is in direct opposition of what we are called to be doing. Can you yeah. weigh in on that? Yeah. If you didn't listen to the message, you should, you should go listen to it. Um, it, it. It was about the uh, armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, classic passage needs. I think he probably said it. He said it in saying, I listened to his message before he did it. He, uh, you know, this is a, this is a talk that you could do eight weeks on, you know, all these different yeah. pieces of armor and whatnot. But, um, you have a direct opposition. He talked about baseball, you know, and how hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in sports. I think yeah. they say it's the hardest and why, because the people with the other uniform, see you and they're, they're trying to stop you from hitting the ball. They're trying to throw it as fast as they can. And they're trying to get it past you so that you can't, can't hit it and be successful. And so, you know, I think that, that there is multiple components that make doing what God designed for us to do difficult. And that's part of what John is getting at is that, um, I think we we have weakness and a proclivity towards sin and self fulfillment and and our own worship. We obviously are are able to be tempted and able to be swayed, and then we make decisions to do things our own way. But but if you take the opposition or the challenges to do what God wants, and you take it and look at it as a pie chart, like how much is each part in, in the Genesis narrative, you've got, there's a, there's a foe there. There's, there's an accuser there, the Satan or the snake or whatever, 
you know, is there tempting and lying and making humans do what they shouldn't do. And so that's, that's what it is. I mean, if you look at that story, God had everything laid out and, and the world was ours and we could do all these beautiful things and we could work and we could eat and we could be with our loved ones and we had plenty of everything. And he comes along and says, you know, there's more and you should want it and God's not good at his job and you might be better at it. And, and we went, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. And, 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 and we didn't have that idea until he put it in our heads. Yeah. And so I think that in a way that should, I think, produce some self compassion. I mean, like we are, un, we are under attack in a sense. It, it, that's a, that's a very like daunting thing to think about. Yeah. It's really hard to wrap your mind. It's hard to wrap your it. mind around it because you're going man, like, I feel like, I think a lot of us think it's just us. It's like, I'm lazy or I'm skeptical or I'm uncertain or I had a bad experience or whatever. So I'm the one that's the main problem for why I haven't been doing what God wants more. And I think that it's that's good that you know that you have to take personal responsibility for your decisions and what you choose to do in life. But you do have like, I mean, imagine if I've, you've had this experience, right? Where your kid is in a, you know, gets in a fight or something on the playground or whatever. And, you know, you're just looking around. It's just like in a football game. You see someone hit someone and you're like, oh, there goes the flag. Or you go get the kid and the kid that yeah. hit the kid goes to timeout. And you're just like, you cannot do that. But then once the dust settles, you hear, do you know what he said to me? Do you know what they said this to me? They said this to me. And when you hear it, you'll hear these stories in, in the end. I mean, they'll say like just the most derogatory, oh, like sure. racist, nasty, seedy things that are just the most provocative thing that all, I mean, you got dudes that are all jacked up. They're freak, they're, they're muscular, yeah. testosterone. They're, you know, they're warm. They're going to hit each other. You say that you're probably going to hit somebody. Most people would. And so there is, there is a provocation of the devil who is constantly moving around in spaces and in ways that are somewhat unknown to us because there's a realm that we don't see. And it's always been there. It was actually there before we were. And so here we are being manipulated by it. There's, there's, an, there's an evil, powerful force who lies to us, wants to make us serve ourselves, and will do anything they can to get us moving away from building the kingdom with God or being a part of God's growth and movement for the gospel and the kingdom of God on earth. I mean, that that's what he wants to do. And then once he wants to keep you off the team— Oh, yeah. You know, he doesn't want you to ever know. Paul talks, he alludes to that in Romans chapter one. There are people that have, their eyes are blind or they don't know, you know. And it's like, th there are people that are off the team and the devil doesn't want them on the team. And then there are people who get on the team 
and the devil just wants to come after you. And it's a little bit silly or crazy, but you know, Mike Tyson, weird reference, but he went through like a wild life story, you know? And one time he said, you know, when God, if God favors you, and I would say he, he was talking about his successes, your gifts. And he was a gifted fighter. Like he's like super oh, one of gifted, the best. one of the best ever. But I think it's more general than that. I think when you're on the team, the devil wants you on his team too. But he said it this way. He said, if God favors you, so does the devil. The devil favors you too. So it's like, I think that part of what John, and, and so, the, so then what John was doing is saying, so, you know, in order for us to be successful, Paul says like, you have to kind of like understand that, and I talked to him about this. I don't know if this is exactly what he ended up saying on Sunday, but you know, sometimes the best uh, offense is a good defense, right? And so you have this armor and you have all this stuff and it's there for you to actually step forward. Or he, Paul says, stand your ground against the schemes. I always have to throw in the sh schemes of the devil. It's a weird word. <laughs> you, you, they're schemes. Yeah. You know, and that's an interesting word, a scheme. Yeah. And they're so, well thought out. Well, that's schemes. what a scheme is. You know, think about a scheme. I mean, like you, you've watched these movies like The Heist or, you know, whatever these movies where yeah. Mission Impossible. Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, right. Ocean's Eleven. It's a scheme. You know, and, and everyone's tricked and you're lied to and you're deceived and they just walk out of the bank with $4 million and they got their suits on and it's all just fine yeah. and no one knew, but you just got robbed blind. That the devil is like way better than Danny Ocean. You know, I mean, that dude is like, he has tricks and he has powers that are stronger than ours. I had a, I had a professor one time say in his seminary, the devil will beat your butt. He'll kick your butt. And he was really funny. His name was Marshall Wicks. He said, yeah, he goes, listen, listen, if you, if, if, if you're in the house and uh, the devil comes knocking on your door and he says, step outside, let's fight. And he wants to fight you in the backyard. Uh, if you go out in the backyard, and you fight the devil, you'll lose every time. <laughs> every single time, you're going to lose. So funny. <laughs> it's just funny. It's like a visual. Like, so, so like he has, he's, it's, it's very manipulative and it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's overt and it's just like in your face and it's just like a powerful force of evil that sometimes gets leveraged by governments and, and it's often when power is manipulated and you see that in obviously Nazi Germany and all throughout the ages of just evil and, and destroying humanity. And then there's like almost the like unscented gas, you know, that just like you don't know it's there and it's just lethal and it kills you in your family overnight and because there's a gas leak. And, you know, the devil just has a way. So at any rate... Um, He's trying to get you. He's trying to get you from doing everything we talked about earlier in the podcast. He's trying to stop you from glorifying God. Yeah. He's trying to stop you from building a life that brings goodness and beauty into the world. He's trying to stop people from worshiping the God that you do that for, you know? And so he'll do anything he can. And I mean, you know, I think John alluded to devil's like a, round, a roaring lion, you know, or he's kind of roaming, seeking whom he may devour. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I don't know if John got into this, uh, but like a lot of times the, the devil will go after your weakness. I've heard it before, like the devil, you know, like a lion, if he's going after a pack of whatever, hyena or 
what are those zebra things? zebra what are like um what are they gazelle yeah gazelle there's one um you know they'll chase them down but they'll get the slow one or they'll get the one that has like a limp yeah like the a, one that the lags one, a little bit yeah the right. one that's on the margin and the one that's you know weak or slow and and what are you going to do? I mean, an antelope can't carry another antelope, so everybody's running. Yeah. And then the slow one loses or the weak one loses. And so God, you know, we are weak and we need God to help us in our weakness. We need his help. And so we need protection. We need healing. We need alertness. We need community. Like we need the church. You know, we need to be vulnerable because vulnerability is the beginning of healing. You know, so if you have a weakness and the devil's out to get you and you don't go to the doctor or go to church or go talk to someone or go pray and work through a sin pattern or repentance or whatever that weakness is, you know, if you're not vulnerable enough, you won't heal and you'll just bleed and it's like blood in the water and the sharks are coming. You're, you're just, you're going to get attacked. Um, and so it's a very serious topic. And John did a wonderful job, like he always does in a week, of concisely breaking down these these things. And um, it should yeah. probably scare us more than it does. Um, well, so I always thought about the armor of, a, of God in this simplistic parable way mm-hmm. of like, these are good qualities or good attributes mm-hmm. to have as a Christian. And yes. I never really saw it as... We are equipping ourselves to fight a very real war yes. against someone that is very powerful. Yeah. That we can't we can't face him without God. Right. Without the armor of God. Right. Um so what are your thoughts on um the armor of God and the actual spiritual warfare? That's that's actively going on around us every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a couple things. You know, like I think John, when he talked about it, he talked about how, you know, Paul is artfully describing the importance of multiple aspects related to who we are in Christ, what our calling is, and what the word of God is and what faith is and all these things. So they, there's a lot of overlap, but if I had to, if I had to break it down to maybe one or two main aspects about the armor of God, I think that <clears throat> we've talked about this too. I think the first is, I think it's the belt of truth. Yeah. Cause that holds everything together. Yeah. It's with this armor uh, that Paul would have been talking about, like maybe Roman armor or whatever with these big shields that interlock together and then the whole uniform gets interlocked together with your belt, which is kind of true for clothes in general. But if you think about it, you tuck in your shirt, you know, like your pants, that all locks together. Yeah. It doesn't work if you don't have a belt. So I would say that truth, you know, is probably the most powerful defense, the truth. If the devil's going to lie, and like you see it in Genesis, you see it in the temptation of of Christ, lies, just manipulation. It's like just off. It's like um, uh, uh, fake money. Yeah, you know, it's just like looks so real. What's who cares? 
What's the difference? It's like 95%. It's like true. 95%. And, and it's just so easy to bite. And so I think that, again, I think Christians need to be in pursuit heavily of truth. Heavily. I talked about how um, when God, when we're putting on Christ, we have to have our mind transformed. And that's like the manager at the store, right? Yeah. So it's like, if you've ever said to someone, like, I'd like to see the manager, then if something's going wrong, then the manager goes and then deals with it. The manager is the mind. So in order to get change in all your extremities and everything else, the mind's got to change. So you can't make change unless the mind changes. And so part of the mind being changed is, is, is the spirit of God. It, it's supernatural. There are things that, that God does that we can't do to us in our minds. And he reveals things to us. And we see the truth. Revelation is to see something. So you see it. And that's part of your mind. You know, you wow, you realize it. I saw it. You know it now. So your mind has just changed. And then the pursuit of truth. And, and, and the thing about the pursuit of truth where it can go wrong is it becomes the pursuit of being right. Yeah. And there's not a call to pursue being right. The call is for you to seek the truth and find it and to know the truth. Yeah, and again, really we good. talked about that. We talked about how the truth will set you free and Jesus is the truth. He calls himself the truth. So again, you've got to have the mind of Christ to be able to truly find the truth. And, um, and then just even in data and in life and reality and the way the world's made and wisdom and how things work or don't work or what's happening with politics or what's happening with, um, you know, on social media and fake news or whatever, man, like you, you have to be someone who is interested in the truth and therefore you're willing to do the thinking before you do your acting and you try to make informed decisions about what it, what life is all about. And some of that can be really simplified and personified in the person of Jesus. It's like, it's like, you may not know what's happening out there. And you may not know what they're saying, and you may not know all the answers, but if you know Christ, he shows us exactly how to be yep. in a world where we don't know what's going on all the time. So there's your answer. Yeah. Because a lot of times when we're wondering what is truth, we're wondering, what should I do? How should I feel? If that's true, what should I do? If this is true, how should I act? If, if, if you know, whatever. But if if you don't know all that stuff, but you know Christ, then you know the truth, you know how to be. Yeah, almost every one of those questions you have, if you study the life of Jesus, mm -hmm. you can see an example of you how see he an handled example. that situation. Exactly. You see how he handles. He knows what's going on. You can never outsmart him. Jesus knows everything. So when you know him, you know, when you think about him, he came here and he knows the truth. He is the truth. And he's not on a truth quest to prove everybody wrong. No. He's on a quest to bring everybody into right relationship with God. Yeah. Knowing everything he knows. So I think that part of, of really fighting the devil 
or fighting, defending yourself against the devil is a close-up encounter with who Jesus is and letting who he is inform every minute of your life and how you decide what you're going to do. And that's the truth. Yeah. And, um, he'll, he'll help you be wise. I mean, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say be gullible. You know, he says, be gentle as doves and wise as serpents. Like, like Christians should be shrewd. We should understand some things about the nature of other people and the way things work and the gods that the world serves money and power and sex and, um, and demons and evil and, and know that those things are in play. You know, when we're evaluating a situation, we're trying to understand what's going on. A lot of times that's what's going on. So there's, there's a ton to get into as it's related yeah. to, to the, oh, that's, you know, that's great. That That's the truth one. And there's more there, but I think the other one that like resonates with me is, you know, it probably is the sword of the spirit. You know, I mean, you know, the word of God. Yeah. Well, that's the only offensive. Yeah, it's the only offensive tool. one. I think that just, again, is like a reinforce. You got to be proactive in knowing God's word and knowing how he is and, and talking to him and hearing him in prayer and stuff like that. So that's going to give you a lot of direction. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's um, let's end on this okay. last question. Yep. Um, so your position is kind of unique. You are very involved in um, a church every day, right? Um, come to this church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you about um, Dad Camp uh, specifically. What was your most important takeaway or moment from Dad Camp that you had with Ray? In terms of what we learned, just in terms of. When you left, you looked back at it and you then there was something that really stuck out to you. Personally? Yeah. Um, I would say that one of the things that just pops to the top of my brain at the moment is the idea of submitting yourself to the program. Yeah. You know, it's like, a lot of people can come up with a lot of reasons, but you know, at the heart of it, you want a great relationship with your kids. Like you want to do things that are special for them. You want them to have everything that they can have to grow up and be vital assets in the humanitarian drudge we're all in. And you want them to be lights and you want them to know they're loved and you want them to find God and you want them to follow God and give their lives away to something that has tremendous meaning and purpose. And so it's like, you know, that doesn't just happen. No. So you've got to, you got to submit yourself to the program. You got to go. So, I mean, you know, whoever, they all say it, time is our most valuable asset. So it's like a whole weekend in August, the most beautiful weekend. I mean, that was At maybe the, camp. that might be the that might be the the most beautiful day that Saturday all year. Yeah. I mean, it went through my head. I could be doing other things right now that yeah. I might think are more. But you know, my daughter wanted to go to the creek. She goes after lunch. She goes, I wanna, I wanna go to the jungle gym, and then I wanna go exploring. That's cool. I mean, dude, like. 
And I'm like, yeah, we're going to go explore. And like, we went all the way to the edge of the camp and we found this creek and we just walked like, honestly, like two or 300 yards all the way down the creek and found crawdads. And I mean, and she just said, I want to go back to the creek. I love the creek. It was just like such a great moment. So like, I wouldn't have had that moment. And I just think like surrender a little bit, you know, like, to the call of fatherhood and giving yourself away for your kids. And if a weekend like that is something that you feel like is a huge expense, it's it's kind of naive. You know, it's like it actually is a huge asset and it's a huge investment and yes, it's a huge It's one of the best investments. It's one of the best investments you could ever make. But you you know there's a reluctancy. Yeah. And that just that that's a commentary on just our perspective and how messed up our priorities can be. So I would just say that I'm so glad I went. Oh, me too. And that I, you know, all, it was all our church. I mean, there was like maybe six guys that were ever not from 514 church, but like it was 95% all of our church. And, you know, I didn't do a thing except just do the camp with Reading. Yeah, get to experience I that. just got to sit and be, and I didn't lead or manage anything. And 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 that was just such a win for me to just say, take me away, guys. Like, show me, you know, take me away, Ryan. What are we going to do here? Yeah. And um, so, I don't know, submission, surrender, serve your kids. Go to that. And, and I'm so glad I did. So that that that's my first takeaway. There's so much. Yeah, it really was a great weekend. Yeah. That's all the time we have for today. If you have any questions or comments, please send them our way. Email us at the rest at 514church.com and we'll do our best to get them answered for you. We'll be here next week to cover part seven of Who Are You Wearing on the Rest? <laughs> <laughs>